Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk of the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. This morning we're beginning a new series called All In. What does it mean to go all in? What do we have in mind here? Well, let me be clear what I don't mean by that. By going all in, we don't mean uh, that we're asking you to be super Christians that legalistically are so pious and so holy that you uh, are better than the average person. That's not what we mean. We certainly don't mean we're asking you to, to overcommit in church activities, as can be the temptation for some people. We don't mean that um, there's some extraordinary status that the average person cannot attain. What do we mean by going all in? Well, going all in begins with an orientation of our hearts. Going all in is a deep dive into the rhythms of God's grace. It's a call to surrender. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself. You have to pick up your cross, not the cross, that was the cross only he could bear, but, but a cross, to pick up your cross, that's a call to surrender. And what it really is, it's, it's, we think of it as this negative thing, like we're giving something up, but we're not really. No, we're going all in to the way that God created us. We're going all in to the things of God. We're going all in to life in his kingdom, which is so much better than anything we could try to attain on our own. We're going all in to the life and mission of the church which God has given us. There's nothing greater that we could invest ourselves in. It's an invitation from Jesus himself to go all in with him, to go deep into the things of God. And during this disruptive season in our lives since March of 2020, many people have stepped back. They've pulled back from a lot of things they were previously committed to. And there's probably a lot of wisdom there. Some of us were overcommitted. We were burned out. We were stressed out. But now as we begin to take on commitments or to take back commitments, I want to encourage you. This is the time to go all in with the life and mission of the church. This is not time to pull back from Christian community. There are some things we need to pull back from. But 10 years from now, we want to be able to look back at this point in our life and say that we pulled back from the right things, but we also pressed in to the right things. I want to encourage you, friends. This is the season to go all in with the mission that God has given us. In this little mini-series, we're going to be looking at three teachings from Jesus out of the Gospel of Luke. As we read the teachings of Jesus, I think it's important for us to understand the tone and the spirit in which Jesus gives us these instructions. I think some people totally miss it. They don't hear Jesus, the rabbi, the teacher, the loving compassionate one who is inviting us into this new incredible way of life. They hear the legalistic Jesus. They hear the Jesus who in Luke 12, instead of hearing, do not worry about your life, they hear, stop it. <laughs> stop worrying. What's wrong with you? Snap out of it. Whatever, whatever you're doing, just, just quit it. They hear this scolding parent, and that's not the tone. I think Jesus, when he says these words that we're going to look at here in detail, when he says, do not worry about your life, Jesus tells us not to worry. Why? Because he knows that we will worry. 
Because it's part of the human condition to worry and not to trust. Now, it's not part of humanity the way that God created us to live, but it is now where we find ourselves. And Jesus says, don't worry about your life because he knows we'll worry and he knows that we weren't created to worry. We're not the best version of ourselves when we're worrying. We were created to be dependent and to trust in God. And so this invitation from Jesus is to dive deep into the things of God, this new way of being human. The context for this particular teaching on worry and and how we use our finances is really that Jesus has told a parable about a rich fool. This rich fool found himself in a position where he had way too much, and he thought he had a practical problem. He said, what am I going to do with all this stuff I have? I guess I'll build bigger barns. I guess I'll rent some extra storage units. I guess I'll build more houses to place all my stuff. He thought he had a practical problem, but he really had a heart issue. And the issue wasn't that he was rich, but that he was rich and he wasn't rich toward God. He had more than enough and he had no thought for the needs of other people. He just thought, you know what, I'm just going to continue to pad myself and, and build up to a point where maybe I'll be able to avoid all the harsh realities of life. And Jesus is teaching that it's foolish to concentrate one's life on the accumulation of stuff. And I remember uh, when I was a kid, I was at this house and uh, there was a magnet on the refrigerator that said something to the effect of, whoever dies with the most kitchen gadgets wins. Which is pretty funny, but I think it's indicative of our age. It's like whoever dies with the most stuff wins. But that's not true. That's not true because you don't get to take it with you. No, winning is actually found in becoming a generous person, a person who's all in for God's kingdom, a person who takes all that they have and they use it for the glory of God and for the good of their neighbor. This is what it means to go all in. And it begins with the transformation of the heart. So the first thing that we need to go all in is that it requires a trusting heart, a trusting heart. We see four times in this opening section the word worry. It's obviously the central theme. This word, it means to be overly anxious about or to show excessive care or concern. Worry and anxiety is ultimately based in fear. In fear. Fear of some outcome that we don't, won't like. Fear of the unknown. Our worry and our anxiety is based in fear. And worry and fear will consume your life. It will suck the life and energy out of you. It will cause your soul to shrivel up. It will destroy you. Ultimately, worry and fear reveals a lack of trust in God at one level or another. So as it relates to our money and possessions, Jesus makes this connection. He implies that if we're ruled by fear and worry, we won't be generous people. If we're worried and anxious about tomorrow and what it will bring, then we're going to hold tightly to everything we have and not let go. But if we believe that it's all God's and that he will provide, then we're more likely to be generous toward other people. And the thing is, you can have a lot of money and be anxious about money. Or you can have very little money and be anxious about money. It's not something that depends on your status in life. You can have a lot or a little or a medium amount. Either way, you can worry. It's just different versions of the same struggle. 
The, le- the lesson many people fail to learn in life is that often an abundance of things results in an abundance of worries. Sometimes the more stuff you have, the more complicated life gets. And you have the thing, and then you have to have all the things that support the thing, and then the money to support the thing that supports the thing. And sometimes having a lot is not all it's cracked up to be. Jesus created us for something better. Now, I want to give a nuance to this as we talk about worry and anxiety. I want to be sensitive to the role of our of physical bodies and of medical care and of mental health. Okay, what I don't want you to hear me saying is, hey, if you're worrying and you're anxious, you just need to pray about it and then things will just go away and your life will be fixed easy. I'm not suggesting that at all. In fact, I believe as it comes to these things that we struggle with in our human condition, God has given us grace to develop medicine, uh, to understand human psychology and, and, and have effective therapies that can help. So for some of you, your worry and anxiety, you, you may need therapy. You may need to take medicine. But I think the problem is, is that people kind of draw lines and there's one camp or another. And some people say, well, it's a physical problem. You just need to take medicine. And other people say, no, it's a spiritual problem. You just need to pray about it. But what if it hasn't have to be either or? What if we were actually created to be holistic beings and that maybe we need to talk to a doctor and we need to talk to the Lord about it or a Christian friend or, or a mentor? So again, when you touch on something like anxiety and worry, I just want you to know that I'm sensitive to the fact that I'm not trying to prescribe to you some sort of simple path moving forward. But I want to encourage you, if you struggle with anxiety and worry, which is all of us to one degree or another, but, but some more than others, that this is something that you take to the Lord and that you pray and that you seek the Lord because I believe that there is grace to help you with this. But getting rid of worry isn't so easy. It's not like turning off the light switch. You know, it's one of those things that's hard to measure. How much, how worried are you today on a scale of one to ten? It's like, but I think we need to understand that the energy that we put into worrying has to be replaced with something else positive. And so rather than worry, Jesus says we were created to trust. So we turn over our worry and anxiety and we grow in trusting the Lord. It's kind of like pride. People will say, I remember there was a time uh, when it was in my life where I was really overly focused on how do I deal with pride in my life? Well, you don't deal with pride by just saying, I'm going to stop being prideful. You replace pride with something positive, which is humility. So the goal is to grow in humility. Same with our anxiety. If you're just focused on the anxiety and the worry, and you say, I'm just going to stop it. No, you need to replace that with greater trust. So how do you trust more in the Lord? Well, Jesus gives us a foundation, a starting place, which he says you need to focus on the character of God. You need to remind yourself of who God is and what he has done for you and to know that he is worthy of your trust. So Jesus makes a case for why we can trust in the Father. He gives us a mini three-point sermon, if you will. Two of them are illustrations, and one is just a straightforward point. The first illustration is birds, in particular ravens. That choice was on purpose. Ravens were considered unclean animals, not particularly bright. In fact, they're scavengers. They don't build up. They don't store up. And Jesus says, look, if God even cares for these dumb ravens, he will care for you. You are so much more valuable than this bird. 
And then he gives us another illustration that's fairly straightforward. He says, consider the flowers, the wildflowers of the field. They don't, it doesn't take a lot of effort. They just, they do what God created them to do. They grow and they're beautiful and they have a purpose to their life. And it's a simple purpose and God fulfills it. So how much more does God have a purpose for you than wildflowers? And you can trust that God will fulfill that purpose in your life. And then the third thing Jesus says is that worry is incredibly inefficient. It doesn't get you anywhere. It takes up a lot of energy and a lot of our time, but it doesn't actually produce any results. So Jesus tells us, you can trust in the heavenly Father. If our loving and powerful God has declared his intention to care for you, there is no reason to be afraid. Now, that doesn't mean we won't encounter trouble and trial and hardship, but it means that God's loving care is a safe place for us to put our trust and our confidence. The second thing we see is that going all in requires a generous heart. Trust is the foundation. If we believe and we trust in God, then we will become a generous people. Look in verse 31. It says, but seek first his kingdom. Whose kingdom is it? It's not yours. It's not mine. It's his, his kingdom. But yet, right after that, it says he is pleased to give you this kingdom, to turn over the access to it, to bless you with the kingdom that belongs to him. I think the foundation for us to become a generous people and trusting people is to believe that everything we have comes from God. 100% of it, not 5%, not 10%, not half, not whatever portion you're willing to turn over to the Lord today. 100% of all that you have, not just your money, your relationships, your gifts, your talents, 100% of everything that you have in your life belongs to God. That's an amazing thought. It's all his. That's an incredible responsibility. All that he has given you, and he's given it to you as a gift for you to enjoy and as a tool for you to leverage for the kingdom of God. Everything in your life, God's given it to you to enjoy and to use for God's kingdom purpose and calling for you. There's a great passage on this from the book of First Chronicles, of all places. David is getting old. He's about to turn over his throne to his son Solomon. And they're right in the middle of a capital campaign to build an incredible building, the temple. And in the midst of that, David dedicates these offerings and reflects on the nature of what they're trying to accomplish here. And he says these words. They're right there on the screen for you from First Chronicles 29. But who am I? And who are my people? that we should be able to give as generously as this. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. If we believe that everything we have belongs to God, it opens us up to be more generous. If we believe that God will provide for us not only today, but in the future, We're more free to give freely to others, to lend with an open hand, to see our resources not just as ours, but as something that we share with other people. Generosity flows from confidence in God's ability and desire to provide. Now, we need to keep in mind that the majority of the people that Jesus is speaking to, we know that most of the early Christians were poor. 
that they were just part of the working class people. And so for them, it was very literal. I mean, he was teaching them, don't worry about what you will eat tomorrow. And for some of them, that was a reality. Many of us in this room, I don't presume all of us, but many of us maybe have never been in a position where we didn't know where tomorrow's meal was coming from. And yet, we can still worry about having enough. It's crazy. The, 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 the challenge is still there. We, we worry that we won't have as much as the next person. We compare ourselves to make ourselves feel better about where we're at. Now, people who store up wealth with no concern for others sometimes are applauded in our world. They're seen as wise. But such a person deludes themselves into thinking that they can control their circumstances. I think that's the lie that we believe. We believe that if we just got enough money, then we would be able to be generous. Then we would be able to pad ourselves from bad things happening to us. Then we would feel comfortable. But the truth is, if you love money, you never have enough. You never have enough. When you trust God, you know that we have more than enough. Because it's his kingdom. Now, the hard reality of that is that there are people, and even Christians, who do lack. There's a mystery in this that I can't solve. There There are Christians who die of hunger. I imagine someone would raise that question, Pastor, what about that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. But I know the principle is that God is good, and that God cares, and that God provides. And we know ultimately that the most important bread that we can eat is the bread of heaven, the bread of eternal life. But there are still hard realities in life. But that doesn't mean we can't trust in God. Jesus is also not discouraging forethought and planning. He's not unconcerned that we have material possessions. He said to his disciples, pray, give us this day our daily bread. So Jesus is not saying, um, be unwise. I think Jesus is concerned with the tyranny of materialism. The tyranny of materialism. Jesus knows the human heart. And he knows that we will wrap ourselves too tightly around our stuff and we will place our trust in it rather than in him. In the creation rather than the creator, we will worship it. And the endless worries of life will crush our soul and keep us from living with a kingdom perspective. So what's the solution? The solution is to seek first the kingdom and trust that he will provide for us. Seek the kingdom first. This mirrors the language of the Lord's Prayer where we're taught, pray thy kingdom come and thy will be done. And so as we trust in God and we grow in generosity, ultimately the desire is that we would have kingdom hearts. Going all in requires a kingdom heart, a perspective that life is about the kingdom of God. Verse 33, Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, Jesus didn't ask every person that he encountered to sell everything and give it to the poor. He asked some people because he knew the condition of their heart. It's kind of like Abraham and Isaac. God asked Abraham to be willing to make the sacrifice. In the end, he didn't actually take it all away from him, but he knew his heart and he was testing him. In fact, in a couple of weeks, we're going to look at a passage about a man who loved his money too much and God asked him to give it all away and he couldn't do it. 
because he loved it too much. But a kingdom heart sees that all that we have is from God and what we have is to be shared with others. The early church understood this. A number of places in the book of Acts, it said they saw their goods as being open to the community. On a number of occasions, they were willing to sell some of what they had in order to provide for other people in need. They saw their stuff through a kingdom perspective. They had a kingdom heart. This is not my stuff. This is, this is the Lord's. And as he's given to me, I'm willing to give to others. The general outflow of hearts redeemed by grace is generosity. That's, that's the bottom line here. As people of God, we have been given so much by God and we will better reflect the nature of God as we become more and more generous people. We've been given so much. We ought to be known in our community as Christians of being the most generous of people because we trust God and we've been given so much and we have joy in our hearts and we understand, we understand this kingdom perspective. We ought to be known. And I've known many Christians who are incredibly generous. Unfortunately, broadly in our culture, Christians are not seen as being overly generous people. And in fact, some of the stats support that reality. We're not actually any more generous than our neighbors are. So the question is, not how do we change the perception for all Christians, but what can we do to be a part of the solution? Because as the people of God, we want to be known as being a generous people. That's part of who we are. That's part of how Christ has redeemed us. So how can we grow in that generosity? Our human desire and our longings will be focused on the place where we invest our resources, whether it's our time, our energy, but especially our money. We become invested in the things that we spend our money on. It's right there, verse 34. Where your heart is, or where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want you to pay attention to the order that Jesus put that in, because I think it's, it's kind of interesting. In the Western world, we typically think that our beliefs and our thoughts are what dictates our behavior. And I think that's true to a certain extent, right? I believe, I value this, and therefore my actions reflect what I believe and what I know to be true. I think a thing that we've missed in Western culture is what if it also works the other way? And what if my actions can actually shape my heart and help shape my values and my beliefs? So rather than sitting around going, well, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act based on things that I already value and then hope that my, my beliefs and my values will catch up and then I'll change my behavior. What if we could actually do the behavior in such a way that it would change our hearts and our minds? So, so as it comes to our possessions, we choose to invest in things that we want our hearts to be for and we want our, our minds to value? What if we do the behavior first? Right? Because Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where you invest your money, that is where your heart and your focus will be. So I'll give you an example. I get a lot of newsletters from various missionaries and missions agencies. I'm going to show you my whole hand. I'm, I'll be honest with you, I don't read every newsletter I get, okay? There's my confession. You know which ones I do read for sure every month I get them? The missions and the mission, mission agencies and the missionaries that I support financially. That's the ones I read. I read some of the others, but the places that I put my money, for some reason, I'm more interested in those because I've made an investment in them. So here's how I think this works. 
you want your heart to be for God's kingdom and his purposes. How do you shape your heart? How do you change your values about that? What if you started with the behavior and the action and you made the choice that you're going to be a more generous person and you began investing in things and then your heart will be in them even more. And then the way that works is then your heart is with it and you value it more, so then you give more. But your giving can also make you value it more. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I want to give you a couple of practical ways that we can take action on this. First of all, if you get any unexpected money recently, what if you just made the choice to just give it all away? Could be a raise, could be a gift. Just if you, if you get any unexpected money in the next month, you just make the decision ahead of time. You know what, Lord, I was already fine before I had that money. So as an act of faith and expression of generosity, I'm just going give, to give it away next year if I get a raise. Just a thought. What if you made a choice to raise your percentage of generosity by 1% each year until you couldn't stand it anymore? And you say, well, I give away 5% of what I have. Well, what if you made the choice to do 6% next year? And hear my heart on this. I want you to grow and become a more generous person. Why? Because that's what Jesus created you to be. And you'll find more joy and more fulfillment and contentment in that. Because no one ever regrets being too generous. No one's sitting around the last week in December looking at their finances and how they spent the last year going, man, we just gave away too much money. I regret it. We gave too much money to hungry people in our town. We gave too much money to support discipleship in the local church. We gave too much money to whatever, whatever it would be. Nobody regrets it. Maybe you've got a resource you need to choose to give away more freely, to lend with an open hand with nothing in expectation or return. Maybe the choice for you is to invest an hour of your week in a different way, to invest it in another person, in a mentoring relationship, to read to kids at a school, to, to show up, or is it step up? I can never get it right. Show up or step up? Show up, show up. Maybe it's an hour of investment of your time in being a person who's for Tulsa. So here's my heart on this as we begin this all-in series. We're considering our commitment as a body to be a part of what God is doing right now in this time and this place in history. And he's doing it through us. God has a specific calling and mission for this church. We're asking you to prayerfully consider, are you willing to go all-in with us right now? Because this is the time in history. This is the time to go all in to the things of God and we will see what he will do as he uses us to be an incredible blessing to our community. Will you go all in with us? Will you take a deep dive into the grace of God and the mission that he has for us? And it begins with trusting hearts, generous hearts, and ultimately that we would have kingdom hearts. Our perspective would be for the kingdom of God and what God is doing in the world. Will you join me as we pray together? Father, you are good, and you are a generous God, and you have given us your absolute best. And God, you bless us each and every day with many good gifts. And Lord, I pray that we would have hearts that are turned to you, that we would have this perspective, God, that you are doing something in our world that is far beyond our wildest imagination. It's bigger than us, bigger than our cares and our concerns, bigger than this local body. It's bigger than our city. 
God, you are doing something in the world. You are redeeming and you are restoring. And God, I pray that you would speak to each and every person through your Holy Spirit and you would challenge us that this is the time to take a deep dive. God, you would help us to go all in. Lord, that we would surrender all that we have to all that you are for your glory and our good. Amen.